0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Boy, what a chilly morning in Florida. Good grief. I, uh, I hate cold weather. I mean, just hate it. I am a Floridian true and true. Anybody with me on that? Thank you over here. I appreciate it. That's why we live here, right? We don't, it wasn't supposed to happen to us. Like, God, why do you hate me? It's kind of what we wake up thinking, and Floridians do, you know. But uh, uh, all kidding aside, it is really. Uh, it's fresh to have a, a, a little bit of a season, right? Just to be able to feel it for a moment. For you Northerners, you're probably like, "Oh, it feels like my my uh, my my season." So, I'm sorry to hate on your enjoyable cold weather, but uh, but here we come here today for a purpose, and I'm grateful that you're here. and um, And I believe that God um, has a word for us all, whether you're watching at home and you couldn't um, you just couldn't stand to get out there today or not. But uh, I really want to encourage you to lean in and listen, um, because as I was working on this message, God was really showing me an awful lot personally, and I pray that um, I'll do everything in my prayerful communication ability to try to distill all the things that God had been has been teaching me this week around this passage. Um, we're in John chapter 2 this week. Um, we have... Uh, Uh, Pastor Corey did a midweek devotional, hopefully you're receiving our emails um, and they're not going to spam or you don't read them, but um, you should have received an email, Uh, Pastor Corey did a really nice devotional on um, the uh, first miracle that Jesus did, uh, the miracle of the wedding at Cana, and uh, I want to encourage you to uh, go back and take a listen to that and maybe use it as your go deeper if you did not uh, get a chance to do that this week because today's story picks up just beyond that story. Uh, as we go through the Gospel of John uh, this year, we'll find, uh, we will use many Sundays to cover every single passage that we can here, but also uh, with the, um, the flow of the year. Uh, we have a missions uh, Sunday coming up this year. Easter, of course, will interrupt the flow of the, of the narrative as we go through. Um, and so we'll have a couple times that we'll need to be using those extra tools. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you're paying attention to your email. Look for those midweek devotionals uh, that we, we will do our best to, to make them uh, as great quality as possible so that you can be able to uh, get and glean a lot. But but in order for you to get the most out of it, you got to do some work and some legwork on it to be able to capitalize on uh, what it is that God is going to call and teach you. And so this morning, um, we're going to pick up right in John chapter 2, verse 12, And it says, after the wedding, uh, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And so this is right after the wedding when John, sequentially, and this is important to note because we're going to see something in Jesus' life early in his ministry that other Gospels talk about a very similar story later in his ministry. And they're not to be confused. They are different situations. They are different uh, times. Uh, but the theme of what he says and the theme of what Jesus does is absolutely the same. And so he is just shortly after the miracle there at the wedding. Uh, this is when this passage takes place. Now, what we're getting ready to take look, a look at today is we're going to see Jesus in a light that is a, a hard picture to look at Jesus at. It, it's it, this is a very difficult story to look at our Lord and when you when you think about the narratives and stories and pictures in our minds the the and the. Fo- and the uh, the paintings that have been made about our Lord and Savior throughout the years. Um, we love to think about the, the, the story of the woman at the well. We, we, we see the pictures of him on the cross. We see the narrative uh, and the stories of him at Lord's Supper. We see him healing the blind. Uh, we see him preaching on the mounts. We see him feeding 5,000, calming the storm. There's some really beautiful moments, powerful moments in the life of our Savior that we really love to look at, and they're photo-worthy, they're they're portrait-worthy moments. But the moment we're gonna look at today is a troubling moment. It's a time when it appears that Jesus loses it, or loses his cool. Uh, That he responds in what feels like incredible agitation and anger, uh, in a kind of a fleshly way. And at first glance, we can think that he lost his cool. But we also have to understand he's Jesus, therefore he's God, and he lived a sinless, perfect life on earth, and therefore his actions that we see here are not um, fleshly actions, but they are righteous indignation. It's a righteous anger that we watch portrayed out of Jesus today. As a matter of fact, we're going to see him do some things that we just never thought he would do. He goes inside a temple of all places, uh, and he begins to just flip over the tables, and then he makes a, a whip out of cords and just starts like hitting people with the whip. I mean, that's like insane. You just imagine the moment uh, and the anger that must have been on his face. You know, Indiana Jones moment. You know, and just snapping people with the whip. It must have been insane. That's what we're going to look at today. And so it's a hard portrait. It's a hard look. And, but there's also a temptation that this story is so familiar to many of you that you can just think, oh, I know this story. I know where we're going. I've been there and done that. But again, there's a couple different times in Jesus' life where he goes into a temple and does this. And they have a very similar thread across them. We're going to, and we're going to cross that thread today because I believe that in the greater picture of what God's laid on my heart is what I need to bring you today regarding what Jesus said about that moment and how that applies to us today. And so that's where we're going to head, and uh, we're going to see that his anger was not out of control. He was fully justified in what he he did. It was a righteous anger. It was under full control. And it was consistent with Jesus' understanding and passion and zeal for his father's house and for what he's come to do. So what made him so angry? Let's take a look at that. John chapter 2, starting in verse 13, says this. It says, it was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration. This has been something that's been happening all the way back down in the time of the Levites. I mean, all all the way through with Moses and, you know, all the Levitical stuff. I mean, this has been happening for ages. And so it was nearly time for this Jewish Passover to take place. And so Jesus went to Jerusalem because that's what we do. We all go to Jerusalem. Thousands upon thousands of people are pressing in upon Jerusalem. One scholar thinks it could have been close to a million people in the city during this time. I don't know, but it's, just understand it's a bunch of people moving into the city, Super Bowl weekend, so to speak, right? I mean, just big, big moment of time. Everyone's in town, and in the temple area, Jesus saw merchants. They were selling cattle and selling sheep and doves for sacrifices. And he also saw uh, they were dealers at the table and they were exchanging foreign money. And so, what was happening here is 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 um, what was happening, it was kind of a normal thing that was taking place. There was a Passover celebration that needed to come, and people had to come not only and give their, pay their temple tax, but they also had to make their sacrifices. And you couldn't just pay your temple tax with any old money. You're coming from all around the, the, the world, so to speak, at that time, the known area. They were all coming to Jerusalem. You couldn't just pay the temple tax with your own money because money that was foreign and money that was not Jewish currency had pagan gods on it. And so you couldn't pay a temple tax for the sacrifice and for these things with pagan money. Your sacrifice and your, your offering and all these things... You had to exchange it. There had to be some type of exchange currency so you had the proper currency in which you could make these offerings and do these things and purchase the sheep and the cattle and the doves, whatever you were there to to um, to sacrifice and so logistically speaking, people were coming from all around and, and to be able to bring a cattle, uh, you know, a calf with you or a, a lamb with you or or birds with you to you know to sacrifice. It was much more convenient and people had depended on these merchants to sell these items when they would arrive in the temple to be able to get what they need. And so the issue that it was happening was kind of a necessity. The irony here is a necessity. But it makes Jesus upset, and we go on and we read this as it goes on and says in, in verse fifteen that Jesus made a whip. <laughs> he makes a whip. Can you just imagine? He's sitting over there, kind of, he's got a few cords and he's just putting it together. And the disciples say, hey, "What you doing?" I'm making me a whip. <laughs> what are you gonna do with that? Oh, you'll see. You know, I can just imagine the, the the moment. You know, the tension. They're like, "What in the world is Jesus up to?" And he's getting ready to really, really wreaks some havoc on these people. And so he makes some he makes a whip from some ropes, and then he chased out them all out of the temple. And he drove out the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the money changers coins all over the floor, and he turned over their tables. I mean Jesus just literally like was was kicking butt and taking names, so, so to speak. I don't know a better way to say it, but he was making a disastrous mess. Now I want you to think for a second. He's kicking everybody out. This is not remember to be able to support the amount of people that were there. This is not some ten by ten pop up tent at some craft fair that these guys set up and were operating business out of. Do you understand? In order to pull off a logistic like they had to pull off to service that many number of people, this was a significant logistic that had to happen. And it wasn't going just to come down in a second's notice. This was something that probably went on for a period of hours in my estimation. And I've been thinking about our bonfire bash recently. You know, yes, events come down pretty quick, but there's still a large logistic in which things have to go. You've got animals, you've got birds in cages, you've got sheep, you've got money changers, you've got tables, you've got a lot of things, and Jesus is just making a disastrous mess of it all. And it's harder to clean up a giant mess, right, when it's all disorganized, and this is what Jesus was creating, a giant mess of disorganization, just scattering and running the people out. And you would run too if somebody was slipping over your table and chasing you with a whip. This is what was going on. So it wasn't the fact that, like I said, the irony was these people had to be there to to sell these things. And so what was it about this that was making Jesus so upset? It was really the price gouging. It was really the, the fact that it was turning into a place for profit. It wasn't a place for, they changed what was sacred for what was um, secular. They were looking to turn it into a profit-making machine, and they were price-gouging people. And it becomes such commonplace that that everyone had just accepted it. This is what just happens here. This is how this work goes. Much like when you and I go to a, a, a football game, or we go to the stadium, um, um, or a, a theme park, or a movie theater for that matter, we're expecting to get price-gouged, aren't we? I'm just going to pay a ridiculous amount of money for a soda here. And That's just how it goes. And so people were expecting and understanding that as they went here into this temple, they're going to pay a ridiculously amount of money. And it was understood. frustrated them like it frustrates us. Like, this is ridiculous, but this is what they were doing. But it was a profit-making machine that they had given themselves over to. And they had used the temple not only to, to sell and trade things, but they were tra- traversing all this business through the temple. This sacred space was now being just, you know, being churned over into business and propaganda for sale. It was just this crazy moment, and it disgusted Jesus. It was his father's house, and he was furious about it. And he goes on to say, in verse 16, Then going over to the people who sowed doves, he said, Get these things out of here, and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. He declares, and then he says that his disciples remembered This prophecy from Scripture, that there would be a passion for God's house that would consume him. This is referring to Jesus, a prophecy. His disciples are like, there it is. The passion for his father's house is consuming him. Jesus says, go back to that verse 16 for a second. It says, my father's house. You're you're turning my father's house into a marketplace, now, I remember, we, we've heard him say this before in other times, that in the other times where he would reference this same kind a temple turning over later in his ministry in the, uh, Matthew 21, Mark 11, you'll see this happen where Jesus, you know, we'll flip it over and he says, what does he say? My house shall be called what? A house of prayer, house of prayer but you've turned it into a den of robbers, a den of thieves, a marketplace. And so, and what he's quoting is something out of Isaiah, Isaiah 59, I believe, and Jeremiah 7:11. These are prophecies that were foretold years and years ago hundreds of years ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that the Messiah would have these these statements and this zeal, this passion. And so they're talking about that passion in verse 17. This passion will consume him. A prophetic word says that. When it says that my house should be called a house of prayer, and and, uh, that is coming from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, we see this theme of Jesus saying my house. And so when he's in this house, he's just saying, no, you guys, what are we doing? What's going on? What have we turned this into? And he's furious about it. And so he's going to kick everyone out to try to reset this thing and make a huge point in the process. And so Jesus has turned over everything and he's demonstrating his authority, not his temper. He's demonstrating a righteous anger, not just bad hostility and anger. He flipped over the tables and he cracked people with his whip and he was doing these things and he was all the while exclaiming, you're turning my father's house into a marketplace. You're using my father's house to rip people off. They're supposed to be here for the Passover, yet all you care about is making a profit and price gouging. And this is not some venue, this, this building, this facility, this temple is not some venue where that we've established, my father's established that so you can get rich off the backs of the poor. My father's house. Jesus was furious. And he did something unforgettable, and he made his point quite clear, but it wouldn't be the last time, as we will note in Scripture, that we'll see him have to do this again. Because, after all, it had become quite the norm for them. And they're like, I don't know how to put an end to this. I don't know how else we do this. When, whenever there's a temple, we have to do the sacrifices, and we have to do the thing. And they go right back to doing what they're doing. And Jesus later has to clear the temple out again. You can imagine every time that Jesus came near the temple. That everyone was thinking, oh, no, dude, put your stuff away because he's getting ready to flip my table. They probably had a box. Like, whenever you saw Jesus, someone's going to whistle and they're all like putting their stuff in the box because I don't want to pick all this junk up, man, you know? This guy's going to flip my table over. He's going to hit me with a whip. You can imagine Jesus made quite a ruckus that day. And the Jewish leaders were like, all right, so um, what in the world are you doing? Look what they said to him in verse, verse 18. The Jewish leaders, they said to him, what are you doing? And by the way, if God's given you this authority to do it, well, show us some type of sign to prove that, it, that you have this authority to do that. The irony is that Jesus has already had the biggest mic drop moment. Because they, they were, this, I'm not sure you'll catch the turn of phrases that my mind's trying to process here. But they were so focused on making a profit and to being profitable off the backs of the poor They were so focused on making a profit that they missed the prophetic of what Jesus was saying when he says, my house, this is my father's house. You're turning it into a marketplace. My house shall be called a house of prayer later, he'd say. They're missing the huge declaration of his authority by not only quoting scripture, but by quoting those particular scriptures He's asserting and saying who his identity is. It's a powerful assertion. But they were so focused on making a prophet that they missed the prophetic coming true right before their eyes. Jesus himself (laughs) is now standing before them saying the very things that should give them affirmation that the Messiah is here. But instead they just reject it. Show us a sign. And he says, all right, I'll show you a sign. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I want to camp out just a little bit here with the fact that Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer later on in, in other narratives and later on in his ministry. And it was after that moment in time. And, and, I, get, and I think you know, what we see here is that they're fixated on the fact that you're turning it into a marketplace. And he's like, no, we're not turning it into a marketplace. This is what we do. This is how it works. This is how it runs. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. It's my father's house. And later we draw this tr- clear understanding that it's called a house of prayer. And today, we, we, don't have, we don't sit on the Temple Mount, right? You know, we're not in Israel. We're not there, uh, you know, with our church sitting on the Temple Mount. We understand that our body is a temple. We understand that God lives inside of us and that he's asked us to assemble together as a church. But in many ways, it's still true today what he is saying, that this is his father's house. This is the place that we as believers come and we assemble. And it's supposed to be a house of prayer. So what does that look like? And how do we process that? Because he doesn't say, notice he doesn't say that my house should be called a house of worship, a house of worship songs. He doesn't say that that my house should be called a house of preaching, where you'll come and hear about preaching or hear messages preached from a person. Jesus doesn't say my house should be called a house of small groups and Bible studies. He doesn't go on to say that my house should be a house of ministries and programs or events. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So how does that look like? What does that mean? Does that mean that all churches should just be coming together and all we should do is, is come here and listen to someone on this stage leading in some type of public prayer? And that we sit underneath that, that ritual of prayer and that we listen to the leader's prayer or, or we establish, you know because like, as a leader, I'm trying to, I want to make sure I get this right. I want to make sure I lead us correctly. And so boy, I wrestled a lot with this because, Lord, how do we turn your house and how do we recognize your house as a house of prayer? Because I got to be honest, there's some things in my heart as I spent this last six months of 2021 spending time with about eight different pastors um, that from all around the country on a prayer kind of coaching to understand how we can, how we can help our church understand more how to become a place of prayer. And before I can help you understand that, it first has to be something that's boiling up inside of me. And I realized through my quiet time with God that God was impressing upon my heart that, yes, I am a person of prayer, but I don't know if God would look at me as a man of prayer in the way that I believe that he wants to develop and grow in me. And I believe that you and I all have the, the need and the importance to make sure that we understand that we are always constantly growing and our ability to communicate and hear from God and speak to Him and listen to Him. Our house should be called a house of prayer. And as a leader, I need to try to champion that. So, Lord, what does that look like? You know, does it mean that in, that in the service that we have to have a certain port of time where we are we are saying prayers over people? Yes, I believe that's a part of it. But it's got to be so much bigger than that. Because here, here's what, what I've kind of come to the conclusion is, is that... Is that our ministry here at North Point is more like a funnel. I mean, can I just kind of talk to you, kind of frankly, and just kind of, um, kind of friend to friend here? This is not like a church service moment. Can I just do that with you? That, art we exist as a church to really be a funnel, and a funnel to to, make, to whatever the programs are, whatever music that we select, whatever programs and events, and how we're going to do it. it it's it, th- that is the funnel, so to speak, to help you. Get to a place so you can communicate with God. That's, that's the whole thing. If I can get you not listening to me, but communicating with God, he's going to make a change in your life. I can't change you. I can't get inside your home and fix your marriage. I can't help you lead your kids. I can't help you navigate the complications of your, 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 your job. I can't solve and, and give you the answers to all the crazy things that you're trying to discern in your life. I just can't do that. And certainly, our worship leader can't pick three songs that are going to do that for you, and and, and I certainly, through my human power, can't accomplish anything that's going to technically really help you. Aside from the Holy Spirit working in this service, you won't be able to really receive. And so, there is two schools of thought. One is, here we are, entertain us, for here we are, speak to us, and I hope that it moves me. I hope it can move me off of the p- position I'm in today. And I, and I want you to hear me lovingly say that. There is a mindset of in church. I've sat, I've sat through many conferences and, uh, and grew up in church. I understand that there is a part of it. I'm going to go to church today, and I hope today that the music inspires me. I hope today that the message challenges me, and I hope today that I leave here different than how I came. There's a desire. That's why you come. That's why you're watching online, is that you? you, in fact, want to see some type of change take place in your life, right? And so, But hear me clearly that the only way that you and I are going to ever really change is that if we hear from God telling us in our heart that we have to make a change and that we simply surrender back to God and say, Lord, I will make that change. You you have to be in dialogue with God. And and so for me to come here and lead a kind of a, a prayer over you And maybe we prayed for 10 minutes. Oh, our house was a house of prayer today because we prayed for 10 minutes, the whole service. I mean, we didn't even do worship songs, so all we did was singing. I don't think we hit the mark. I think we hit the mark when all throughout the worship service, from the moment you walk in this place until the moment that you leave this place, that there is something happening inside of you that you're chasing after, seeking, and listening for God the entire time. That means that when we come in this room and the worship songs begin, that regardless of your preference or desire for whatever type of worship it is, that instead of us evaluating that, we would simply come in and say, Father, I'm here today. Here's, the, here's our point. Here's, here's our point. God even models this for us in a prayer. Jesus models this. Jesus, he says um, in, in, his, in his Lord's Prayer, he said, you know, he basically says, hallowed be thy name, right? He's, he, you know, he says, Jesus, you know, God, you are, you are it, right? And so when we come into this place, our first job is to glorify God. I love the songs that our worship team did pick today, lyrically powerful. You're a God of the promise, and I know you by a thousand names, and you deserve every single one. You're Yahweh's glory. You're the great I am. There, there is a part, when we first come in here, our first declaration a prayer is celebrating that God is worthy. Lord, you are so worthy. And you're doing that in song, but it is a prayer to God celebrating his worthiness. Are you following me? You're tracking with me? Say yes. Okay, you're tracking with me. So when you come in this place, you're celebrating who God is in a prayerful spirit of worship, saying, Father, you are worthy. And at the same time, during, that wor- during those worship services, you're saying, I am needy. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus tells us. And so not only is it, you know, um, you know, holy and how great and how wonderful you are, God, you are, you are so worthy of our praise, and I am so needy. If you and I can get, regardless of what songs that they are, if you and I can get during the worship time that level of understanding and prayer to say, Lord, you are worthy and I am needy. Father, you are worthy of my praise, and, and by the way, it's the same thing you have to do inside your life in the course of, a daily, of, of your day when, when the roof caves in and the bottom drops out of your life and stresses are running high. It's the same prayer we go to God. Father, you are worthy and I am so needy. Do you hear it? It's, and it's, That's why sometimes it's called the sacrifice of praise. Because we're sacrificing our praise in the midst of hardship in our home, in our jobs, in our lives. And we're sacrificing and we're demonstrating that as collectively as a wor- in, in our worship time together. Father, you are worthy and I am so unbelievably needy. And God's got us right where he needs us. And the next thing that we need to do is there's another level of sacrifice that happens. Just like with the children of Israel and just like what happens here in, this, in the narrative today is that there is a time of sacrifice, And not only am I sacrificing in my praise, but there is a time to give. Father, you are worthy and I am needy, but also, Father, I trust you for everything. I'm fully dependent on you. And so when I give my tithes and my offerings to you, it's it's not just a discipline. It is another act of prayer, saying, Father, what I'm giving you today is costing me something. And I'm trusting you with it you are worthy and I am needy and I have full dependence on you in my giving. Do you see how that works? You see how it's another layer of prayer for you? This isn't what we are doing. This is how our attitudes and our hearts collectively work together. For this to be a house of prayer, you have to have that mindset. Father, you are worthy and I am needy in that worship. And Father, I am depending on you and I'm trusting you as my provider. Father, today as I remembered you as my Ebenezer, the time that you provided today when I give is also my opportunity to demonstrate I'm still believing you're my provider and I'm fully dependent on you. And some today had to give it a sacrificial level because right now you're in between jobs. You just had a big car repair and you're struggling through some medical thing and you're like, this is harder today than normal. Well, when you fully sacrifice in that capacity, man, God's got something really cool for you. You are worthy and I am needy and I'm fully dependent on you. These are prayers that you and I are praying all throughout the service. And then the time shifts. The pastor comes out, whoever it is. The guy that walks out on stage and for sometimes when I'm not here, some of you go, oh, the pastor's not here. But I love the comments to say, when you're not here, my heart kind of sinks because I'm like, I was hoping you're here today. And then we're like, but... Jason Meekum, or Butt, Pastor Corey, or Butt, Dr. Barker, Boris, Pastor Steve Williams. But, but I just love the fact that you, you get it. God has put gifted people around me, and I want to continue to use them because we are better together when we see these gifted communicators speak from their heart in different places that God has lined them up. But it's not just a matter of me kind of now coming and talking to your head. And But I labor backstage so much, and I labor in prayer before I come out here. And I have pages of notes that I just have to abandon right now because I feel like God just saying, just talk to us. Come on. Talk to, not just my head, but try to talk to the hearts of the people that are in the room. My my point today that I'm trying to make is that I don't have the communication skill set to be so persuasive every single week to try to get into your head, get into your heart, and affect change in your life. It's impossible for me to do that. How it will happen is that if, again, a prayer that only you can pray to simply say, Father, today, I don't know where Pastor Steve's going. I don't know where one of our elders today are going to lead us to in our message. But here's what my commitment to you is, God. I'm going to sacrifice with my attention I'm going to lean in and I'm going to listen, whether I'm at home or in this room. I'm going to let no distraction take a hold of me. I'm going to focus in and I'm going to lean. I'm not going to let my mind water because I don't want to miss anything that your word, he's going to preach out of your word and I want to hear it. He's chased after you this week, Father, and I want to hear what is it that you're going to target my heart with. And if we would simply pray a prayer like that to say, Father, I'm going to sacrifice my time and attention right now to pay attention. And then we add this prayer to it. This is the most dangerous prayer you can possibly pray. That, Father, whatever you reveal to me today in your word, as you tell me that this is an area you want me to change, before I even know what it is we're talking about. Wow. This is a hard prayer. Before it even is, before I even know what we're going to speak about today. If you would put your finger on my heart and say, that's the area I want you to change, that's the area I want you to adjust, that's the thing I want you to do, I'm going to say yes before I even know what it is that you are going to tell me to do. It's the same prayer I want you to pray at home, on your couch, or in your favorite chair when you do your Bible study, or on your knees before the Lord. It's like, Lord, it's not a conditional yes, I'm not going to just say yes on the things that I kind of like, because if I do that, I'm turning you into a God after my own image. I'm creating a God that only I want to serve based upon the things that are convenient to me. Sometimes God wants to turn over some tables in your life and say, get this out of here. Get rid of this. And before he walks in, into your heart today, even in this message or every Sunday when we're here and we're watching, We have to say, God, whatever you want to turn over today, whatever you want to put your finger on, or is there a place in my life where you want to crack a whip, so to speak, and get my full and undivided attention? I want you to know, God, that I'm going to say yes right now to whatever it is you tell me before I even know. Do you know what kind of obedience that is? For those that have kids in the room, if your child wants to obey you as a parent like that, Dad says, hey, can I ask you to do something for me? And the son just says, yes, dad, whatever it is, yes. What does that do in the heart of a father? Are you kidding me? You just said yes. I mean, I can tell you to go eat dog poop right now? Yep, yep, I I guess so. Please don't say that. (laughs) But the point is that there's a heart of obedience that a father loves when we're willing to say yes regardless of what the instructions are. Why can we do that? How is it possible that we can do that? The answer is very simple, is that your Father in heaven loves you. He's not here to wreck your life. He's here to bless your life and to give you guidance and direction, to give you a purpose and a plan, to see you accomplish for him the kingdom things that he's established before you're even born to do. He has your best interest in mind. We don't have to discern whether or not that's dangerous or not helpful or going to be too risky (laughs) If God directs us, we can say yes. He wants our yes first. And so now it takes us to one more piece of the service. The service begins to come to a close. I close my Bible, and we'll have some music that normally starts, and we'll kind of wrap up the service, and everybody knows church is almost over. Some of you would look at your watch and think, oh, my gosh, we've got to get out of here because whatever is going to happen, and all those pieces of the puzzle. But the most important thing that you and I can do at the end of every time we're in this room is to spend some time listening and responding to God. If you don't have a time of response And it's not because the pastor said, come forward and do this. It's not that. For this place to become a house of prayer for you, there has to be a place in the service where you go, Lord, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And today, I'm I'm still trying to process. Because maybe even in this message, you're thinking, okay, what am I supposed to take away? I don't know. So your response is, I'm going to carry this home and I'm going to chase after you and I'm not going to let go of you, God, until you show me today what was this message about that I needed to understand. Because sometimes he gives you a little glimpse of something and it doesn't feel like it's for you, but the more you dig in it, the more you realize, oh my gosh, that was for me. There has to be a time in this service where you and I respond to God. When we open up the time at the end of the service and we do that final song, It's not an opportunity to see whether or not we've earned our keep today to see will people come forward and come talk to one of the pastors. Please get that out of your mindset. I had to get it out of mine. It's not my evaluation of whether or not my message was good. It has nothing to do with that. My evaluation is that I trust the Holy Spirit to guide me through this service today. For your evaluation, it's, did I put something on the altar today and respond to God? Because if you didn't, don't leave this place. We intentionally have time in between services for you to linger back. We'll have leaders up here that we can pray with you, but here's what I'm here to tell you. You don't need someone else to pray and talk at you. You need to hear from God. And so sometimes what a response looks like is when that final song is being sung, is that you sit in your seat and you bow your head with your face in your hands and you shut up for just a second and say, God, what is it you want to tell me? I don't think we need to talk more to him sometimes. I just think we need to listen sometimes more. But because the service is almost over and people are going to be walking around, there's just this temptation that I'm just going to wrap up now and be done. And oh my gosh, you'll miss if God can get you so close to a response. But yet in your pride or in your rush or in your leave-taking mindset, type A type of mindset, you're just, I got to go, it's time to go. You know as well as I do, the pressures of the parking lot, the radio, the kids, you'll be pulled right out of what it is that God was doing and it'll be, it'll be gone. <laughs> the restaurant, or something's going to happen. You won't even be able to concentrate. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, as leaders, I have a huge responsibility to make sure it's an environment that all the things I just talked about can work for you in that regard, to minimize distractions and to make some changes and adjustments, to let all else fade away so that you can stay focused. But imagine what church would be like if every Sunday you came here and that you are praying the entire service, you personally. Father, you are worthy and I am needy. And I'm going to release my cares to you. And Father, then I'm going to, I'm going to be a person who's willing to make sacrifices and give to you. And Father, and my, demonstrate my full dependence on you. Not only am I going to demonstrate my full dependence on you, Father, I'm going to take it one step further and be obedient to whatever it is you tell me to do. As scary as that sounds, but I trust you because I'm fully dependent on you, that you're going to lead me in the right way. And then lastly, respond. You see, all these things that I just described, they're on you, aren't they? They're on me too, because I've got to create the environment. Us as elders, the worship team, we, we have to create the environment for this to happen. But even in the harshest and hardest environments in your life, you still have to do this in your life because you are a living, breathing temple of God where the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Each day you are worthy and I am needy. I'm declaring my dependence upon you. And today, Father, I am promise you that I will be obedient to whatever it is you tell me to do, no matter how difficult it might feel or be. I will love anyone you sovereignly place in my path today, Father, even though they may be difficult people. I will do all the things, Lord, you've asked me to do. Imagine if you lived your life like that. Imagine if we all came to church like that. This place would be a house of prayer. I'm anxious to see all of us get to that place. I'm growing in my walk with God and my understanding of prayer. In March the 6th, which is coming up on a Sunday night, I want you to mark your calendars to be a part of a prayer night with me. It's a no-frills prayer night. This isn't a night where you bring your laundry list of prayers, and we're going to spend two hours going pray for Aunt Sally and Uncle Buck in, in North Carolina who have ingrown toenails. No, no. This is going to be an intentional time where we're going to lead us all in some guided prayers that you're going to pray in your seat to God. My job is to get you communicating to God Not simply us hearing each other say a prayer out loud and next person who I can't hear and I can't even pay attention to what that guy said. I'm gonna try to put it and create it in such a way that we just come in here and and petition God for our church, for you personally, and for your family. March the 6th, will be a night to do that. I only want you to come if you take that seriously. I'm not, I don't care the size of the crowd that comes. I just want people here that wanna pray because this year I wanna turn the tide here. 2022, what's the theme of the year for me, is to teach us to be a house of prayer and a people of prayer. Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal their land. I'll set a course for them. I'll give them a fortified future. And I believe that's what he wants for us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for, you know, taking my message and changing it. I appreciate that, Lord. I appreciate, Lord, how you, I just want to give you full control. This is your place. It's not my place. These are your plans, not my plans. But, Lord, I really felt in my heart today that I needed to talk to my friends, my church family, and help us put the right perspective on what the heck it is we're doing here. It's not about just feeling good and checking a box that I went to church. It's about did I, throughout the entire service, Did I lift you up in praise? Did you feel, Lord, my praise elevated to you today, that you are worthy? It's easy for me to tell you that I'm needy. I'm so good at that. But Father, did you feel that I declared my dependence on you in the way I gave today? Did you feel it, God? When I gave my offering today, was there something inside of you that says he depends? She's depending on me. Father is someone here today that just needs to say yes to you and be obedient. I pray so. I pray so. Father, I'm just kind of fascinated at the thought that in the first part of John, you convert water into wine. and then, in the later part of John chapter two, you <laughs> you cleanse the temple. Lord, that's how it worked in everyone's lives in this room is that you saved us, you converted our old heart for a new heart, and then you begin to work on and cleanse us and change us with a series of next steps in obedience. So what is the next step in obedience you want my family to take today individually, Father? Would you tell them? And right now during this final song, would they listen to you? as this song is being sung, as they sing the lyrics if they want to, as they sit in their seat if they want to, however it is, God, this is you. Speak to them, Father. Let them respond to you today. If they want to come up to the front and pray, Father, direct them there to pray. If they need to pray privately at the front, let them do that. If they need to pray with someone up here, that's fine. We're here for them too. But God, will you let them speak to you and will you speak to them? That's what we're asking for. That's what we desire. Let all else fade away.